Standing up in McKinney, this is According to Callus, episode 543, coming to you on the 6th of December, the year of our Lord, 2023. And today, I'm afraid of Moscow. Or if you prefer, that's what I heard. <laughs> uh, before we get into the subject matter of the day, let me remind you the best way you can help me continue to make a difference, to continue to, to- hold the line, push back, and quite frankly, tarry on is to like, share, and subscribe to this here podcast. You can follow me. You can join me on the social medias. Yes, that's right. I am on Facebook. I have both a page and a group, according to Callus. Not that hard to find. And I do show up at Gab and MeWe from time to time. And as of this episode, I still have a bunch of shows up at YouTube. And one of these days, I'll figure out how to get over at Rumble. The shortcoming is, my opinion here, let me throw this in just before we get to the program itself. My understanding is Rumble would be quite the echo chamber, but would potentially double my followers or listeners or whatever by going on over there. I'm not curious, but, or I should say, (laughs) I'm not sure, but I am curious So I wouldn't mind if I could get some people to chime in on the comments. Comments, rating, and reviewing do help. Every little bit helps the program. And, hey, I'm still with Podbean. They've uh, sent me some interesting emails. I'm going to look into that and see how that might work and how that might benefit us going forward. And one one final thing on the intro today. Let me remind you, we are still working at hitting our goal of 250,000 downloads before the end of the month, the end of the year, if you will. All right, enough of that. That's all out of the way. Let's move on. I'm afraid of Moscow. (laughs) Well, uh, some of you may know, I I do listen to the folks over at the Fight Fight, Laugh Feast Network. Uh, I listen to some of their programs and one of their leaders over there is none other than Pastor Doug Wilson. Now, I will tell you flat out, the guy's a Presbyterian. Uh, There are things that I'm just not going to agree with. I've tried to wrap my head around some of their more uh, theological differences there. And I would just say, we're going to have to agree to disagree. It's not the end of the world. And it's certainly not something to break fellowship over because by and large, on a lot of the pressing issues of the day, we're co-belligerents. We're allies. And apparently there is a reverend out there that is quite upset. Uh, I think, uh, I don't, you know what? I'm not even going to use his name because I don't know and I don't care. And he's either for the Gospel Coalition or one of those other uh, fish rule, uh groups. Uh, they spend a whole lot of time and punching right rather than addressing the issues at hand, rather than speaking the truth, rather than be aggressively and putting forth their arguments. Now, once again, this is another Wednesday where I'm going to speak a lot about, I guess, my Christian faith, but the understanding of what's going on in the world around me in light of my Christianity and I will freely admit my flavor of Christianity might not be yours. And that's okay, unless. So I referenced 
uh, Rosario Butterfield in last week's, and I listened to a pretty lengthy interview with her over the this last week, and she was talking about a number of things that the church have allowed, and indeed in some regards are encouraging within the halls of the church. And one of them that she referred to was feminism. I thought that quite funny, being that this was a professor who was an avowed feminist, excuse me, as well as a practicing uh, lesbian, who found Christ and left that behind. Now, maybe that wasn't your experience. Maybe you didn't get there on your own, or maybe you're somewhere in that process. But what I, what I found most interesting is her reaction and her description of how it works and how it's a net negative and why churches ought to be very fearful or afraid of it. That is feminism within the church. And then she talked about the idea that we can't tell the sexes apart. We use this term gender, which, okay, fine. And on top of it, we have basically taught at least two generations of young people that everything was best if it was softer, if it was feminine, if there was no rough edges, if it was highly polished, my terminology, right? Now, I got to say, having left a very strict church from growing up and going to what I would have called a seeker-sensitive church in the late 80s, early 90s, that was a breath of fresh air. Now, some have said that that specific church had a very egalitarian mindset. I reject that. I I don't think that's true. And I'm fairly certain that the congregation would never, ever went for some of the things that are going on right here and right now. And to that end, I'm not looking to adjudicate and argue whether or not One church is doing something right, wrong, or otherwise. What I'm looking at is just the entire direction of the evangelical world, basically upending, rejecting, and rewriting the gospel. Why does that matter, you say, Stephen? Well, the underlying issue that I'm observing was we're now at the ridicule stage, right? They did all they could. And and again, I want to back up a second. This is in part about the folks out in Moscow and what they're doing, but this is really having more to do with the masculine response and pushback that is going on. And I'm just using that as an example. Think of Moscow as a metaphor for masculinity. I mean, even in the old days, when you thought about, you know, DC versus Moscow and meaning the Soviet Union, Moscow, it was certainly more masculine than DC. I mean... So again, being a child of the eighties, that's how I would see it. So now when I'm looking at things, you know, 40 years later, we've got the evangelical fish uh, leadership wringing their hands and all upset about a group of pastors and people that is part of a movement that's taking place in Moscow, Idaho, and leading the way at pushing back in the culture wars and taking a stand and being involved with both God and government that they're suddenly and punching right on these folks again. Now, I'm not going to argue whether or not I'm fully on board with anything or not. All righty. Had a little Tyler difficulty there. <laughs> I'm sorry. I meant technical difficulty. <laughs> oh, sorry. Um, yeah. So we were talking about the idea that they're at the standpoint now that they've moved on to ridicule. 
for a long time, they've tried to ignore the pushback, right? They've, they've tried to work on this idea that we're right. Nobody questions us. This is the latest, newest thing within the evangelical world. And you all must get on board with Big Eva and the next thing we're going to go do. You're not supposed to question it. And I mean, look, I, I've gone to <clears throat> what I would call your standard evangelical church. I have friends that go to other standard evangelical churches. In fact, the former standard evangelical church that I had left when I relocated to one that was closer to home, it is interesting to me how many of them recycle the same ideas, the same um programs the the, the I, I, at some point i gotta wonder how much of the actual sermon is original anymore now true it's been 2000 years times 52 weeks in a year and honestly most baptist churches or historical churches were meeting twice a week so times 100 i mean what is that Two hundred thousand. 200,000 sermons out of the Bible. I'm pretty sure that we're recycling things at this point. I don't know that we need to go to such great lengths as to tell the story of the nativity from what I think the favorite, uh, somebody had said from the point of view of the donkey. I, I really, I mean, don't get me wrong. That's probably funny or entertaining or even educational for children. But when you've got a room full of adults, not so much. And then the secondary crisis in this is not only is it not masculine, it's not educated. One of the, one of the swipes that's always made about Christians or religious people in general is they're not educated. They don't know good arguments. They, they're not, they're not familiar with the world around them. They don't have a good grasp and understanding of things. Well, I'll tell you, I know plenty of smart people, people that are smarter than me that have a very good grasp on the world and very good grasp on specific scientific or theological ideas that they can make these ideas far better than I can. So I'm not going to go down that path. All I'm going to tell you is, yeah, I don't buy that either. So again, that's, that's still in the dismissive stage, but now we're going to the ridicule stage. We were there, right? How dare you, you, you men pushing back. You want to be heard. Oh, the patriarchy, you're returning the patriarchy. Oh, you're doing this. Oh, you didn't really, I mean, you're not even confronting the argument. You're not even confronting the issue at hand. You're literally making stuff up and throwing things, trying to see something that sticks. And quite frankly, that stinks. Now, look. The situation here is I'm not looking to defend anything that goes on in Moscow, Idaho. I'm not looking to defend anything in the manosphere or, or anything that is masculine worldview. I, I don't feel the need to do that. They do that job quite well on their own. In fact, I'm not even going to get into the theological differences that might cause a problem for, I don't know, somebody that's got more of a Baptist background. And I'm going to put the scare quotes up because... I'm not a Baptist. I don't belong to a Baptist church, but much of the theology in the straight up evangelical world is Baptist in background. These guys are hardcore PC, well, maybe OPC Presbyterians. They're hardcore. They know what they believe. They know why they believe it and they fight for it. And there's something to be said for fighting for it. And by fighting for it and pushing back and holding the line and being aggressive, you've now moved out of the sphere where they ignore you and they're now ridiculing. And it's interesting to me because I don't know that I want to 
defend people that I don't necessarily agree with, but we're co-belligerents. We're on the same team here. We see what the enemy is. We see what the enemy's doing. We want to make a difference. Why would I punch these guys, metaphorically speaking, right? We talk about it in politics. You don't punch right. I mean, that's all our gatekeepers do is they're always punching right. How dare you move that Overton window? We don't want to discuss these things. We're afraid. Oh, wait a minute. I covered that yesterday. I apologize. Uh, Today, we're talking about the same thing going on. The gatekeepers don't want you to talk about certain things within the quote unquote evangelical world. You're not supposed to question the latest progressive outcome of whatever's come out of the seminaries. Now, I, I will say this flat out. I don't even know how to describe where I fit in the complementarian uh, range of things. I know I'm not fee- full egalitarian, and I'm certainly not uh, putting women uh, <laughs> barefoot and pregnant. I am blessed that I have a very talented, smart, educated, and gifted woman that married me. I'm very blessed to have that. And while some of my friends in my sphere or in my realm of things in politics might want to and say that that's not the best, that's not ideal. And while I am maybe appreciative of their concern, I would just say that was a decision between myself, my wife, and our God, not you. Didn't ask you. Don't care what you have to say on this specific issue. And I think that's appropriate. But I think it'd be fair to say that my wife is probably even more hardcore on some of these theology things than I am. And we discuss these and we're an agreement. And she's calling out the problems that I'm seeing. And she's like, I don't understand it. And I tell her, I said, well, there's two generations of men that have been told that they can't lead and they can't be masculine. Why would you expect them to do that? I have the same conversation with other people that are not my wife. And I tell them the same thing. You have observed 40 years of men being programmed to not think for themselves, to not question what they're told by their wives, their girlfriends, and their mothers. And quite frankly, they're not capable of being men anymore. So why are you surprised? And when men want to act like men, when men push back at this, when when they take a stand, when they remind themselves that there would be no country, there would be no Western civilization, if not for masculine men... When they bring that up, the horrors and the shriekings and the ridicule that follows is something ridiculous. Now, I I realize I'm kind of swerving off the content here, but bear with me for just a minute. The ridicule is all they have left. And the, the concern framing that they're going to do on anything that comes out, well, we don't actually... We don't really have an issue with that, but we just think that's a little harsh. We're we're not sure that's the nicest way to put that. Really? Okay. So what exactly is it that you're so fearful of? What, What is it that is so concerning for you? I mean, if I were to tell you the barbarians are inside the gate, am I allowed to draw a sword now? Metaphorically speaking. If I were to tell you the Muslim hordes have invaded and they're raping our women and children, metaphorically speaking, of course, am I allowed to fight back? 
I mean, there is a famous evangelifish pastor that said that he probably wouldn't fight back and he'd let his wife and daughter be abused. I'm going to be polite about it. I, for one, that's not me. If I had the means to stop something like that happening, I would gladly go sit in jail. Then watch that happen or tolerate that happening to somebody in my family, somebody that I loved and cared about. And I got to ask, what the heck is wrong with you if you're a man and you don't feel the same way about that? If you're not willing to die and kill to protect your family, your civilization, your life, maybe you got to go check yourself. Now, I'm not suggesting you should go run and do foolish things. I'm not suggesting you should go pick fights. But if it comes down to you and your family or them, I'm sorry. The decision's already been made for you. Are you going to knuckle over? Worship or kiss the feet that are enslaving you or killing you? Or are you going to fight back like a man? I don't know. I, I wonder. Do we have enough men left? You know, yesterday I talked about the idea that, well, if we have 30% of the Texians, right? 30% of Texas is Texians or Tejanos, if you prefer, and they want to do something about it. That's more than enough. That's 10 times what we had to win our own freedom the first time in 1776. But we also were led by the black robes. We, we also had our strong masculine Christian leadership that encouraged us to do the right thing and defend which was, was important. Those things that are worthy. And we don't have that anymore. We have a bunch of cowards. We have a bunch of fearful <laughs> feminine men. I'm sorry, that's not very fulfilling. That's not very protective. That's not very mm, reassuring. My tangent's kind of gotten a little wider here, <laughs> but, but the fear of Moscow, <laughs> maybe, maybe I should change the title <laughs> fear and loathing in Moscow. <laughs> I don't know, but I've got to do my best to ridicule these people that have nothing other than Contempt and lack of understanding for the very thing that they caused to happen. I mean, how many generations of geldings do you need to have before the or the country collapses? I mean, really, that's what we're dealing with. The entire government apparatus is arrayed to punish men that act like men, particularly white men. But we'll set that aside for the time being. The entire school educational apparatus is been redesigned to benefit young girls that quite frankly are better at sitting still and paying attention to long, boring things. Okay. And then when you determine that they're antisocial, when you, when you punish them, whether it's by kicking them out of school or drugging them into oblivion, why should you be surprised that they don't know what it's like to be a man? Now, this is how I'm going to tie this all together, or at least attempt to. You have men that are males, right? They act out on their male impulses and their male behaviors, and they want to command and conquer, essentially. They need to bridle those efforts. They need to maintain the self-control. I don't believe that happens naturally. 
I don't believe that's something that just occurs. No, that's where the purpose of Christianity, in my opinion, that's where the purpose of the Christian civilization comes into play. And one of the tropes that's been brought out is everybody's different variations and worst case scenarios of something called Christian nationalism. Well, I think it's kind of a silly term. It doesn't bother me. I, I don't know that we actually have a adequate de- definition or a working agreement on what it actually means, but they run it out there like a boogeyman. And it's not lost at me that a bunch of effeminate evangelifish are most fearful of people that might actually want to push forward Christian ideals. That's not lost on me. It shouldn't be lost on you either. Now, I don't know what the solution is. I don't know that there's a perfect answer here. I I mean, eventually every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess. But until that, in fact, happens, I don't want to be hmm, doing forced conversions. I I don't want to put the sword to the neck and give them an opportunity to confess and convert. I'm not sure that was the best way that we should have ever handled anything. But I got to say, if you actually understood the historical context of some of these comments that I've just made. And if you understood what was going on there, you would see that the large basis of that, in fact, did not come out of Christianity, did not come out of even the Catholic church or the Catholic understanding of Christianity. It was dealing with deceivers within the ranks more than anything else. Oh no, there's other faiths that use that or other religions that use that. But by and large, Christianity has not been one of them. Can I say for absolute certainty that it's never happened anywhere? No, absolutely. I'm not going there. It was generally frowned upon, generally not thought to be a good thing. Doesn't mean it didn't happen. Yeah, of course, we know it did. But as a general rule, that's not the way we play. And we need to remember that. But on the flip side, when we're being nice, when we're being, quote, tolerant, when we're working and showing love of people, that hate us, we're setting ourselves up for failure. One of the interesting things, and I don't know, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but apparently since we get to reform always, and we're always getting to freshly determine what biblical passage means and we get to impute our own eyes on it, right? I mean, that's why we have something called the Lenses Institute. That's why the feminists are so involved in seminaries right now so that they can rewrite what the Bible means. Well, I'm just going to rewrite a little Bible story myself and see if it makes any sense or if it fits in the context of the time. So the Samaritan goes and picks up the wounded Jewish guy, cleans him up and drops him off at a boarding house, says you'll pay for it. Here's some money now. And when I come back later, if there's anything on this account that hadn't been dealt with, I'll work that out with you as the owner of this inn. But what you noticed is he didn't take this guy to his home. He didn't leave this guy in his home with his daughters or his sons or his wife or wives, perhaps at the time. He, he put him in a third situation. Not, he didn't leave him on the road. He didn't take him home with him. He put him up in a place where he could convalesce. And then he said, I'm going to give you some money to the innkeeper to look after this person until they're well enough to take care of themselves. And then at some point when I come back through here, if there's an outstanding bill, I'll make good on it. He didn't say the person could stay there forever. He didn't say that the person was going to live on his dime indefinitely. He didn't say this person no, never had to take care of himself again. No, he said, look, 
I'll settle up on the bill when he's well enough to take care of himself and he's gone about his business. It talks about how he was looking after his neighbor, that he was, quote, the good Samaritan. He did the right thing. But you'll note what he didn't do. He didn't go sign him up for a government program. He didn't give him three hots on a cot and tell him you don't have to do anything. He said, look, he's convalescing. I bound his wounds. I looked after him. Please take care of him. And I know I'm putting this burden on you as the innkeeper. I'll make it right when I come back through. But the expectation was this guy was going to be there long enough to heal up and go about his business, to go back to his life, to not sit there and sponge off of the Samaritan nor the innkeeper. There was a certain expectation there that he was a man enough person to go back to his life. He was not a sponge. When I, when I look at the world we live in today, the clown world, right? The trash world and everything's upside down and we running around telling people that you can't use the wrong pronouns and that's now a fireable offense in some circumstances. I'm sorry. That's just crazy. We're, we're going to reinforce somebody's mental disability rather than speak the truth in love to them. We would rather tolerate apologize. Be very careful. I don't want to cross the line here that I can't take back. We're willing to tolerate this around our families and our children rather than upset somebody. We would rather pretend that we're helping these people without speaking any truth to them. What's interesting to me is when I listened to this interview with Rosario Butterfield, she talked about the idea that this family took her in. They loved her where she was at. They accepted where she was at, but they at no time told her that her sin was appropriate, that her behavior was good, that it's okay. God for, you know, God's going to be good with that. No. They didn't do any of that. They acted like good Christians. They spoke the truth to her. They were kind to her. They were there with her. And again, this is my understanding of the story. And you're hearing it third hand. You shouldn't take what I'm taking of out of that conversation as the, the direct truth. You should go listen to her yourself. Or better yet, go buy her book. Oh, she's got a new book out. That's why she was being interviewed. For the life of me, I don't remember the title of it. But when I do, I might just post it in a... Facebook uh, post later on just to give you the opportunity to go hear from somebody that's had a transformation. And part of the transformation is she rejected the very feminism that her whole world was built upon. The same feminism that has affected and infected the American church, the evangelical world. And we tolerate it. We pretend it's okay. And we go along with all those associated problems. And we're afraid to confront them because our men are no longer masculine. It's all tied together. We've been primed for this point in history. And we've tolerated it. We've made the mistake of not holding the line when we had the opportunity to do so. And you got to ask yourself, how did we do this to ourselves? And why did we do this to ourselves? My suggestion is we let the wolves in with the sheep. 
Now, maybe they were old wolves. Maybe they were toothless wolves. Maybe we didn't see them as a threat. Perhaps they were dressed up in the sheep's clothing. Maybe they fooled enough people long enough. Or, or maybe, just maybe, they were foxes. They're not quite strong enough to take on the flock of sheep by themselves. They're not quite up to the task to take down a single sheep by themselves. But they can lead them astray. Lead them into an area where they're left vulnerable. So maybe the fox doesn't get it, but the wolves do. Maybe that's not a good analogy. Don't know. We have to guard our younger generation. We have to guard our leadership as they're being built up. We have to guard the structures of our society, of our church, of our culture. If we're not willing to do that, if we're not at, if we're not allowing our men to act like men, we're not allowing any masculinity, period, end of story, because people are afraid of it, we're going to fail. Now, you might see this showing up in your church in one way or another. I'm not going to get into details because I'm trying really hard not to cross the line. Really hard. And it may, it may come across differently. It may be observable in some way or another. But you have to guard on the wolves, on the foxes that have snuck in and deceived the other people around them. They've successfully undermined the seminaries just like they did the schools of education. They are getting to our children. They're getting to your grandchildren. They are infecting everybody with this progressive rewriting history narrative. And you don't know how to combat it. The tools are out there. I'm using some of those tools now so that I can better defend my own turf, my own family. I don't have all the answers, but I can tell you what I see. I can, I can observe what's wrong. I'm pointing you to the direction to get your own solutions. To, to best address the issue as it is manifesting itself in front of you where you're at. Because I can't possibly know everything about everybody else. And as much as I like doing this show and as much as I like my own opinions, hence the name according to Callus, I also know I'm a finite, fallible human being and I don't have an answer for everything all the time. And I don't know everything all the time. And occasionally... I'm going to mess something up or I'm going to miss something or I'm going to misunderstand something. And I allow myself to be wrong and I own my errors. I'd encourage you to do the same. The difference is you have to learn from your mistakes. And if you don't, then what's the point? And with that, I will see you on the other side.